Welcome to Irish Exit Everything. My name is Frank, and I'm not an ornithologist, but I'm pretty sure that birds are real. <laughs> and yes, we live in a world where I have to remind you that birds are real, because the birds aren't real movement, <laughs> if you can even call the movement, is this conspiracy that birds are actually government surveillance drones planted by the CIA. Just let that one sink in for a second. And like, this movement has a surprising number of followers. They're pretty active on social media. They have chapters popping up across the country. They have rallies, if you can imagine that. But after just a little bit of digging, you can see that this isn't a real movement. Like, it's pretty obviously just a meme about how ridiculous conspiracies can be. Um, and I'm here to set the record straight that the real government spies are your house cats. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, birds are real. Your cat is real. Maybe not very affectionate, but real. But, um, it is interesting to think about that this movement popped up in 2018. Um, and people were, let's say, facetiously questioning birds. And then in 2020... It took a pandemic when folks were staying inside for birds to be appreciated more. Uh, birding or bird watching got very popular during the pandemic. I mean, it was popular before. Um, in 2016, for example, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service estimated about 45 million people watched birds, either around their home or away from it. But... In 2020, you know, we were staying at home, right? And once you get bored on the inside, you start to look outside. And then you remember, oh, yeah, there are birds out there. So sales for birdhouses, bird feeders, seeds skyrocketed. Um, so there's this newfound appreciation for birds. And I got to say, I'm on board. You know, for the longest time, I didn't really care about birds all that much because... I was actually attacked by one when I was a kid. Uh, I was riding my bike down the road and a bird just swooped down and pecked me on top of my head. Uh, <laughs> I was probably too close to their nest or something, I don't know, but it was a very traumatic experience for me. Um, to this day, no idea what kind of bird it was, but it just made me dislike all birds in general. But now, after I've been going on some hikes, uh, I have a new interest in birds. But I have no knowledge whatsoever except that birds are the things that fly and poop on my windshield. So I reached out to the Alabama Audubon Society, whose entire mission revolves around birds, um, to answer some of my questions about bird watching. So here's my conversation with Sarah Randolph, the Outreach and Communications Director. All right, Sarah, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. And uh, before we get into uh, your professional life, I guess you could say, uh, I was just wondering, you personally, how did you get into birding and, and how long have you been doing it? Well, uh, it does tie into my professional life. I wasn't, I didn't consider myself a birder before I got this position. Um, I was an artist or am an artist. And one of my favorite things to paint was birds. And so when I heard about this position, um, my background's in communications and marketing, and 
I'm very passionate about the environment and wildlife. So I applied and um, then I discovered, you know, this is a whole thing and uh, took our took some of our classes and went on field trips and stuff. And so I've, I just learned a lot through the job, but um, especially during the pandemic, I really got into birding on my own. And so I do it, I'm like constantly birding now. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I feel like a lot of people discover that this is a thing, uh, especially uh, during the pandemic. Um, so why, why do you think that is? Why do you think it got so popular, especially during the pandemic? I think it's just because the pandemic really, especially the early pandemic, um, made a lot of people slow down. And many of us had to start working from home. And so it was easy to notice the birds in your backyard you know that's what a lot of friends told me and I started getting all kinds of questions from friends and family members and um yeah so I think I think that's what really sort of did it for folks but you know I'm hoping that people will continue their interest you know birding's been around probably since the beginning of time people have taken interest in birds and written about them or made art about them. So I'm sure it will continue for many, many more years. Right, yeah, birds have been around for a while, but we're just now noticing. <laughs> and you mentioned like, people are asking you questions all the time. Like, are you a certified bird nerd at this point? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people are slowing down. So like, can anyone go birding uh, or do you have to be a certain type of person where you can actually like slow down? Do you have to be a very patient person? To, to go birding? I think anyone can be a birder. If you like watching birds in your backyard or at your feeder, um, you don't have to go on trips all across the globe to be a birder, you know? So um, anyone can do it. Even if you have like vision impairment, you can bird by ear, for instance. I've learned a lot of birds by their calls. Um, but what was the other part of the question? I forget. <laughs> I was just wondering yeah, if you have to be like a, a super patient person to be oh, able to do I it. I think it just helps you become more patient. Honestly, mm. it makes you, and for me, it's like my moment of Zen when I'm looking at a bird through binoculars or just with my own eyes. And uh, I, it just helps me to be more mindful and present. Definitely. Yeah, I go, I go on hikes and sometimes I'll hear a bird call. And like you mentioned, some people go birding just by listening to the bird calls. And uh, I still have no idea what I'm hearing. Um, I just like I hear it because I'm in that moment. Um, so I'd like to learn what I'm hearing. Um, so do you have any tips for beginners? I have a lot of tips. Uh, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> first off, um, get you a pair of binoculars if you can. Um, we have a lot of recommendations on our website. Um, just go to A-L Audubon, that's A-U-D-U-B-O-N, not Autobahn, <laughs> .org. Um, and it's under the birding section of our menu. Um, you want to click on helpful resources. We have a bunch of information there about picking the best pair of binoculars. You can go to places like REI, um, Bass Pro Shop, or really any local sporting goods store. Um, you'll also want to get a good field guide, whether it's a paper copy like the Peterson Field Guide to Birds of North America or Sibley Guide to Birds. Um, or if you have a smartphone, you can download uh, many different bird ID apps um, like Merlin or Audubon app. Those are two freebies. There are some you can pay for once you get to that next level too. <laughs> um, and many of those, like you can 
click on them, look, look for different, you know, uh, features of the birds, but also listen to their different calls. And that's what I use a lot of times. So I'll go to my Audubon app if I'm like, oh, I think that sounded like this bird and I'll look that bird up and kind of play it back. But I try not to play it too loud because that might, some people do that, but you know, it's kind of frowned upon in the birding community. They make the birds think there's another male or something like that. And then they get really stressed out. Um, also you can, if you're in Alabama, or if you travel to Alabama, you can come on some of our field trips. We have field trips all over the state and it's definitely one of the best ways to learn your bird ID is when you're out in the field with a group of knowledgeable birders. That's how I learned a lot um, from Greg Harbor and other uh, longtime members and volunteers that we have. And um, we do have an online course coming up. I don't know if the podcast will be out in time it's called Audubon at Home, Introduction to Birds and Birding with Greg Harbor. And he's who I learned almost all of my bird ID knowledge from. Um, he's a really great teacher and he'll teach you everything you need to know to get started, um, selecting optics, choosing field guides, feeding birds in your yard, identifying common birds and bird families and like where to find them around Alabama. But pre-registration does close this Friday. So um, if you missed that one, we have lots of other online courses you can check out on our website as well. And then finally, I would say, check out Alabama Birding Trails. They are, or there are over 280 sites across the state and you can see a wide range of species in a variety of habitat. That is a long list of tips. That's great. <laughs> uh, and if, you, if you're a beginner like me who has a budget of $0, um, <laughs> those apps sound like they would be super helpful. Yeah, and a lot of our events are free, like field trips. We've got Swift Nights out coming up, which is a really special event this time of year where you can see what looks like a tornado of birds. We call it a Swift Night. That sounds like it could be a horror movie. <laughs> tornado of birds. Um, you mentioned that there are some things that uh, the birding community frowns upon. Um, that's not something I considered. I didn't think it would be a very judgmental community um but there are there any other like no-nos that you should be aware of i wouldn't say it's judgmental more like birding ethics like there's the American birding association that has their own code of ethics for uh, that they recommend birders follow you know just to make sure you're not getting too close to birds in the field like you want to give birds their space um especially true like on the coast for instance, if there's like really sensitive beach nesting birds, you want to give them at least 100 yards because if you get closer than that or if kids are running up flushing the birds or dogs are off leash, you know, um, a lot of times that'll, you know, make the parents fly away and um, those eggs can basically fry in the sun in a matter of minutes uh, if they're not tending to the eggs and sitting on them. So that's just example but yeah like giving birds their space um not playing songs like i mentioned um to aggravate birds i'm sure there's a lot of other ones that i'm not remembering right now just you know being a good human <laughs> yeah that's actually a good point i feel like because you mentioned it's like a birding is a practice in patience so, so it also seems like it's a good practice in respect and like respecting others boundaries yeah. and environment and whatnot um okay. Which actually leads me to my next question, uh, which is, why are birds important? Why should people care about them? I'm glad you asked that question, Franklin. Birds are literally the canary in the coal mine. They are indicative of ecological health. So 
what happens to birds will ultimately happen to humans. And there's a journal called Science, which many of you may or may not be familiar with, and they put out a report in 2019 saying that we've lost 3 billion, that's billion with a B, birds since 1970. I'd say that's a wake-up call. Can you guess the top reasons for their decline? Uh, climate change. That's definitely one. <laughs> The number one uh, human activity related cause of bird deaths are outdoor cats, estimated at about 2.4 billion birds killed each year in the United States alone. Um, window collisions are second with an estimated 365 million to 1 billion birds annually in the US. And then other causes are like habitat loss, pesticides, climate change, as you mentioned, and disease. Like there was a really bad salmonella outbreak across the country and even in Alabama earlier this year. And we were getting lots of reports of people seeing sick or dead birds around their bird feeders. So it's really important to clean those feeders very, very frequently. And um, there are actually many things you can do at home though. Like I don't wanna sound all doom and gloom. I want people to have positive takeaways from this talk. You can, uh, of course, bring cats indoors or build catios so they feel, get the feel of being outside. Um, things like turning lights off during peak migration. We're in the middle of fall migration right now. So turning your lights out at night um, or applying bird tape or DIY options to the outside of your windows. That's really uh, a great way you can prevent window collisions. And we've got a ton of resources on our website as well, alaudubon.org forward slash window dash collisions. Um, check that out. And then of course, like I was saying, clean your bird feeders and bird baths with nine parts water to one part bleach every few days in the summer and air dry to prevent spreading diseases. Um, that also includes, you know, cleaning up feces and holes below the feeder. Um, hummingbird feeders, actually, when it's like 90 degrees or above, you're gonna wanna clean those daily. Um, which is a lot, I know, <laughs> but uh, otherwise it can, again, spread disease and you can actually make your own nectar by boiling four parts water to one part sugar. And a common myth I like to dispel is that red dye is needed, but you actually don't need to use any dye that's harmful to birds. You can just, as long as it's like painted red on the outside or got little red flowers, you know, that works. But of course, take down feeders if you and baths if you see sick or dead birds in your yard. Be sure to wash your hands. Some things like salmonella can spread humans. But what I like to tell people about an even better solution is to plant native plants because they are hardy and drought resistant. And this will provide your own food and shelter to birds without the hassle of constantly cleaning your feeders. And it's also very important to remove invasive species because those will choke out native plants and spread easily, hence the word invasive. And if there's one thing I want you to take away today, Nandina is poisonous to birds. I see it in people's yards all over Alabama. It's all over Birmingham. Um, and people don't know because some local plant shops sell it, but the berries are actually toxic to birds. Oh, I'm learning so much today. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> I also didn't, those numbers are really surprising. I didn't realize that windows were so dangerous to birds. Like, I mean, you, you see birds every now and then like fly into a window. I, I guess I just didn't realize how often it happened. And then you mentioned that birds were the canaries in the, in the coal mine for, cause like what happens to them will eventually happen to humans. And if I can, if I can be a little more philosophical right now, 
Um, if windows are such a, a high threat to birds, it almost seems like the more windows we construct, it's like the more humans are disconnecting from nature. Um, that's my attempt at being a little philosophical, but um, it's almost like, yeah, a warning that maybe we shouldn't have so many windows or like in buildings in this sense, like skyscrapers, like we don't need more skyscrapers. We need to get, get back to nature. Absolutely. And a lot of the window collisions actually happen in residential homes and like two stories at story buildings, office buildings, because you would think it's the taller skyscrapers and that does happen some, but wildly enough, the majority of them are just within a couple of stories off the ground for some reason. That's interesting. And you talked about um, the Alabama Audubon, um, Audubon, not Autobahn, uh, which is an important distinction. I talked about it already a little bit, but um, what are some of your converse, I almost said conversation, conservation efforts? There are so many. Um, I'm gonna try to quickly highlight a few for you, um, but just let me know if you have questions, I'm happy to shut up. <laughs> but basically, um, so we were founded in 1946 as Birmingham Audubon Society. And then in 2019, our membership met and we changed our name to Alabama Audubon. Um, to reflect our statewide reach. So we are the state's leading nonprofit promoting conservation and a greater knowledge of birds, their habitats and the natural world. I do like to make the distinction, um, we are a chapter of National Audubon Society, but we're actually a separate 501c3. So um, by giving directly to Alabama Audubon, you can ensure every dollar stays in our state for the benefit of our birds and bird lovers. So our we were completely volunteer run for many, many years up until about 2013 or 2014. And we played a major role in things like the Forever Wild Land Trust in Alabama and um, Sipsy Wilderness becoming uh, a natural area as well. Thanks to some of our key members. Um, we have conservation efforts all over the state and many of which include community science where we rely on volunteers to help us monitor different bird species. One of the biggest ones for us is um, since 2017, the Alabama Coastal Bird Stewardship Program has provided critical protection and monitoring for our state's sensitive beach nesting bird populations like I was mentioning earlier. So we also have our staff and volunteers on the coast collecting data for Audubon Coastal Bird Surveys, which happen during the other three seasons of the year, fall, winter, and spring, to determine threats to wintering, migrating, and breeding birds. And I have to say this project is supported by the National Audubon Society through funding from the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Another really cool initiative that just started, I believe last year was um, heron monitoring across the state. Our science and conservation director started this program and it's primarily focused on green herons because their population has declined by roughly 70% since the 1960s. Um, so while they're still considered a common bird, they're considered a common bird in steep decline. So by monitoring individuals and nests in urban and natural areas, we hope to get a better understanding of how development and disturbance pressures influence habitat and reproductive success. And we definitely encourage volunteers to help us monitor those and yellow crown night herons throughout the state. And you can submit your sightings and learn more at alaudubon.org slash herons. Um, one of my other most favorite birds are chimney swifts, and I kind of touched on this earlier about the swift night out, but um, we have a community science program called Alabama Swift Watch, and so chimney swifts are um, 
a bird that we've done a lot of conservation around. They are here March through October generally, um, and then they winter in South America. Some stay here and breed um, during the breeding season. And then this time of year is when uh, some of their flock that went as far north as Canada are coming back down the East Coast. And so we see like hundreds to thousands of these birds um, each night at sunset. And that's when they do their swift NATO that I was mentioning. So they never stop flying all day long because of how their legs are. They can't perch. They can only like cling to vertical structures. And anyway, I could talk about chimney swifts all day, but <laughs> they're really cool because they eat like 12,000 bugs a day, including mosquitoes. So we want to keep them around. But of course, they've been declining because of habitat loss. You know, um, they roost in chimneys. So I know with Birmingham, especially and places like Tuscaloosa and other parts of the state, you know, as cities revitalize, we get a lot of these old buildings with these huge old chimneys um, get demolished, unfortunately, or people cap their chimneys because they don't know. And so we want to get the word out so people know, please don't cap your chimneys, uncap them if you can, or if you can't, um, you can build a standalone swift tower. And we've, we've got at least 20 across the state that either we've built or we've worked with people on or we monitor. Um, and these provide breeding habitat for the swifts. It's not, they're obviously not as big as like the giant roosting chimneys, but um, if you can come to a swift night out, we're having one in Greensboro uh, on Friday the 17th. So that's close to Tuscaloosa. Yeah. <laughs> but you can join Alabama Swift Watch and help us monitor chimney swifts this time of year too. And there's a few others, but um, I'll, I'll stop there for now, unless you want. <laughs> like I said, there's so many things we do all across the state, so it's hard to get it into a little sound bite. <laughs> right, right. That's amazing. Are yeah. chimney swifts your favorite bird? One of. It's hard to have just. <laughs> sure. Yeah, they're definitely one of my favorites, though. They look, a lot of people confuse them for bats because of the way they fly. They kind of look erratically. No one can see me right now, but you, but, <laughs> um, and they make a chippering, chittering sound. It's very distinctive. Sometimes you'll see them or hear them before you actually see them. Would you be willing to demonstrate what they sound like? <laughs> oh, that was really good. I have never heard one before, but I assume that's what it sounds like. I play it on my app. <laughs> oh, there you go. I don't know this... if it'll... This might be a really dumb question, um, but well, there is such a thing. <laughs> this is going to be the very first one uh, of all time. Uh, are chimney swifts a relatively new species? Because I'm assuming chimneys haven't been around for as long as these birds. So That's a great question. And no, they are not. So we think they initially roosted in like hollowed out old trees and old growth forests, but with the industrial revolution, you know we came in and destroyed a lot of those old growth forests and then built cities with chimneys and so they adapted so they're very versatile in that way here I've got the call let's see if you can hear it <laughs> yeah you did a perfect demonstration <laughs> people like to laugh at me and my bird impressions <laughs> Do you do them often in the office? I do like Facebook live bird walks sometimes, like during the pandemic, especially when we weren't getting together, I would do that to still try to engage people. That's awesome. 
Um, another question for you, because you mentioned green herons, um, and I actually had never heard of a green heron. I heard of blue herons. Blue. Those are like the popular ones. Um, so, and I always hear like Alabama has like the most biodiverse species like in all of the, the US. So I guess it's not really a question. I was just like surprised to hear about a green heron in it. And is it because like species are in decline that we're not hearing about some of these? Possibly. I mean, I didn't know about a lot of these species until I started this job, honestly. And so that's part of our outreach is just trying to educate the public about the wealth of diversity that we have. We are the fourth most biodiverse state in the nation, hmm. like period. Um, we are the most biodiverse east of the Mississippi. So not just birds, of course, but we see over 400 species of birds either year round or migrating through or wintering here. Um, so there's a ton. I mean, there's so many that I haven't even seen. <laughs> wow. You got some work to do. Yeah. <laughs> Real bird nerds have a life list, so they keep up with all the birds they've ever seen. <laughs> it's good to know. I'm going to have to come up with a list. Yeah. Um, you mentioned people can um, report uh, when they've seen something to help like monitor the population. Yes. Um, and you recommend anyone do that, like not just in Alabama, but like across uh, the country. If you if you see a bird, you should like report it to the National Audubon Society. Good point. So if you're not in Alabama, anywhere across the globe, you can use eBird. So you can either go to their website, eBird.org, or you can download the eBird app. Um, and you can do this in Alabama too and tag us. And then that helps us with our community science data. We're just AL Audubon on there. But um, if you download eBird, you can log your sightings and it does help scientists across the, the world to study changes in migration and changes in bird populations. Um, yeah, and then that was one thing I was gonna say too about the apps. I haven't done this yet, but I just learned recently, if you get the Merlin app, which is one of the free ones, um, is put out by Cornell University. Um, that one can tie into your eBird. So if you log your sightings in eBird, then you can have a life list going in Merlin and Merlin can help you look up different birds and see what they look like and stuff. That's awesome. So birding is not just practicing patience and respect. You can also help scientists around the world. Absolutely. And right here in Alabama with us. <laughs> Love that. Uh, any final thoughts about birds? Oh, gosh. Well, they've certainly given me a whole new appreciation of life. I always found myself fascinated with birds, like I said, from painting them and stuff before I got this job. But now it's just birds are fascinating. And I, I encourage everyone listening to get outside and enjoy the natural world look at some birds, <laughs> check out your little local Audubon chapter. If you're not in Alabama, if you are, um, please connect with us. We would love to meet you. You can become a member. Um, you can go to some of our events, many of which are free. You can take some of our online courses, regardless of where you are. So yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for being our bird nerd today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs>